welcome to the Echo Podcast, where we discuss how our hearts and minds can be an echo of God's heart and mind, and what that even means in this world. We are Pastor Dan Sincorn and Adrian Terulo from Shiloh Church of Jasper, Indiana. Pastor Dan is Shiloh's main leader and head pastor, and I, Adrian, am the youth leader. Each episode will consist of us talking about different topics and ideals in the Christian faith, typically derived from the previous Sunday sermon. We'll wrestle through some things together, and we hope you find our conversation enriching, inspiring, and entertaining. So Pastor Dan, this is our first podcast, and this idea actually came from many hours of conversation between us uh, in the past several years, about five years, I guess. Um, my husband, Anthony, and I did pre-marriage counseling with Pastor Dan and his wife, Laura. We're in post-marriage counseling now, and we've all had some really interesting, wonderful conversations. We've had some really good laughs together while learning a lot about each other and enriching our faith together. So our hope is that by tuning in, you'll get to be a fly on the wall of our off-the-wall conversations. And of course, this is a fantastic supplement to each week's sermons. You'll get to soak them in, reflect on them, and ask questions with me. So in this week's episode, we are talking about hearing God's voice. Our podcast title is Echo, so I think it's only appropriate to start here. An echo is a repeated sound that's caused by the reflection of sound waves from a surface, a wave that carries a signal and is reflected. So in order for an echo to exist, several things must happen. There must be an initial sound, a medium through which the sound is carried, a surface for the sound waves to reflect off of, a surface for the sound waves to go to, like an ear, and then is when it gets interesting. So now we're talking about science, which is one of my personal favorite topics. So sound enters the outer ear, which then shoots it through the hole, which is the ear canal. It hits the eardrum, the tympanic membrane, which vibrates like when you hit a drum. So the eardrum is vibrating and that vibration is sent directly through the three smallest bones in the human body, of which one is touching the eardrum. These three act as a lever, amplifying the sound energy as it moves from the tympanic membrane to the oval window. The oval window sets up pressure waves in the fluid-filled cochlea, which is the inner ear, and is very cute and snail-shaped. These vibrations from the fluid are transformed into electrical energy by hair cells, and different hair cells are stimulated by different frequencies. These hair cells translate the vibrations from sound waves into electrical impulses that travel along the auditory nerve down several pathways in the brain. And if you're thinking, Adrian, I am so lost right now, I won't even go into the insane level of processing that the brain has to go through for us to differentiate between the sounds. <sighs> the more I learn about science, the more I genuinely do not understand how people deny the existence of God. Just the process of hearing and understanding sound is so complex, there's no way in my mind that was not all strategically created by an all-knowing being. There ain't no way that one single complex process is the result of random cellular division. I just, I just don't comprehend that idea. And that's just one tiny component of life. Okay, so I've digressed already into the process of hearing, but we're gonna get back to the echo. Pastor Dan, do you remember the first time you ever heard an echo? Where were you? Hmm, you know, I, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, Oh, by the way, hi, everybody. I'm Dan. <laughs> After that great introduction, I was just ready to dive right in. So anyway, I'm Dan. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Here we go. Answer to your question. The first memory I have of an echo is really from a movie. 
because when I was a little kid, I started loving old-time TV and old-time radio and especially the old movies, and I loved Abbott and Costello, all right? Now, there's a scene in one of the Abbott and Costello meetings where Lou Costello, or movies rather, is standing in a cave where they have an echo chamber. And he sees a sign that says echo chamber, so he yells off in a, in a certain direction, hello, nothing comes back. So he points himself in a different direction, and he says, hello, and nothing comes back. He does it two more times, and on the fourth time, after he's really, really frustrated, it comes back all of them at once in four-part harmony, singing, hello. <laughs> and I love it. So that was my first memory of an echo is from that movie. But then I do remember in Boy Scout camp, we had uh, these campfires down by the lake, Lake Tyanesta. And there was, you know, it's Western Pennsylvania up in Northwestern Pennsylvania. And there's hills on either side of the reservoir. And, and we would sit there and the scout leaders would say, now there's a Girl Scout camp over on the other side of the lake. And they're having a campfire right now, too. And if we shout to them, they will shout back. And so as a group in mass, we would say, how you doing? And then this group of people would yell back, how you doing? <laughs> wow. Yeah. But it was the girl's voice. It wasn't your voice. Well, right? I don't know. The girls sounded suspiciously like us, but remember, we were all pre-adolescent and adolescent little boys. <laughs> so, you know, by the time some of us echoed back, we might as well have been girls, I think. But yeah. Hard to tell. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so Lake Tyanesca, is that what you Tyanesta said? Tyanesta with a T. With a T. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back to that moment. Okay, so you're at Lake Tyanesta with your family this time, not with the Boy Scouts. Right. So we're there, and you shout echo really loud. So it bounces back from, I guess, the water or whatever it was resounding from. And, you know, as a child, that is just magical, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe you thought that was girls, like, answering you back, but say it's yourself. It's still magical. And you're like, wow. I just heard my voice. It traveled all that way, and now I'm hearing myself again. And without a doubt, this time, you know that it's your voice, because there's not another group over there. You know for sure it's your voice. So say you're on a family vacation, and your mom is there too. She does the same thing. She says, Echo, and you know your mom's voice, because I know you and your mom are really close, so you recognize her voice. Mm -hmm. And you think, hey, that's my mom's voice. You'd recognize her tone. Maybe she has like a special twang. She's got a signature voice, right? Mm -hmm. But what if one of your sibling's friends was along on the trip? And maybe you've just heard your sibling talk about them. You don't really know them very well. If they yelled, Echo, or I'm so awesome, you might be like, who was that? Like, I, there's like a, a bit of a familiarity there, but you'd probably look over to see who was that? Like, who said that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So then, of course, like, if a random stranger was also there, you'd be completely lost. You'd have, like, no idea where that came from. You'd just be looking around in the darkness. So I wonder what level of familiarity we'd have if we're at this hypothetical lake and God called our name. Mm -hmm. Would we immediately know the sound of his voice and where that came from? 
Or would we be just spinning around in circles, like seeing, where did that beautiful voice come from? Who is that? And in your sermon last week, you talked about knowing Jesus. We studied the book of Luke and Acts, um, both written by Luke, and Luke opens both of these addressing Theophilus. And honestly, before Sunday, I probably just would have been like, oh yeah, that's that's some dude's name. It's, yeah, Theophilus, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh dear Theophilus. Theophilus. That's a mouthful. And and this is because Luke says this. This is Luke chapter 1, 3 through 4. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And then in Acts 1, chapter 1, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Theophilus was an actual person, and you talked about this, right? He was probably of, like, high social standing. He was probably a friend of Luke's. Um, But this is so interesting because the name Theophilus actually stands for friend of God or loved by God. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it makes it a little mysterious, right? Yeah. Suddenly it it enters this new realm. It's less specific. And so I kind of like to think that he's talking to me in that, Mm -hmm. like as a friend of God and and like a seeker of truth. So basically Luke is saying, dear friend, I have reported on Jesus. I've become a believer and here's why. Luke provides accurate information so that people could think critically about Jesus and make up their minds accordingly. And so then you went into um, talking about a story in the more recent past which was in the book, A Case for Christ. Mm -hmm. And I just want to pause for a second. Listener, if you have not watched the movie or read the book, we're going to dive into it. So spoiler alert, you might want to pause it, watch the movie, read it, and then come back. So Pastor Dan, can you tell me more about this book? Well, A Case for Christ was written by Lee Strobel back in 1997, I believe, and he was a Chicago uh, investigative reporter and, uh, and also uh, somebody with the law background. And so he was very, you know, very linear thinker, very, you know, intellectual. Um, and sometimes those are the hardest people to convince about matters of faith. And he was certainly one of those. And so um, his wife had come to faith and talked about it a lot and really wanted him to, to learn to love and trust Jesus. And, and he was just frustrated because in his mind, this was all just a fantasy. It was all just a silly mythology that, you know, people didn't, people with intelligence wouldn't do. And yet he couldn't get her to let up about it, so he decided to do what he knew how to do, which was investigate. So his book, A Case for Christ, was actually intended to be a case against Christ. He he intended to write a thorough treatment of the Christian belief system and why it had no valid uh, validity. And so that's what he set out to do. But darned if he didn't convince himself that it was true. And at one point, he looked at the evidence that he'd gathered and realized that it had to be true. And if it was true, then he was going to have to find, uh, he was going to have to find himself standing before God someday for judgment. And he decided he wanted to be in a right relationship with God after having understood the necessity for that. So 
he came to faith and his book became a case for Christ. Yeah, it is so cool. I haven't I haven't read the the book, but I have watched the movie. And it was really cool. He, I didn't know there was a movie till you told me. Yeah. We're actually I mean, gonna watch tonight in youth group. I'm awesome. really excited to awesome. show the kids that. But this dude, he started um what was the word you used on Sunday? Um hostile. He started very mm -hmm. hostile. He was like, who is this Jesus and what has he done to my wife? Yeah. Right? Yeah. He was like jealous. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, you should love me as your husband. Like he, he thought that her love for Christ was going to detract from her love for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it's just such a good movie. He spent two years investigating, researching. I mean, it was a full-on investigation. He put every morsel of energy he had into that. Um, it's really cool. And he says, the only way to the truth is through facts. He says, I'm against superstition, ignorance, and tyranny. And there were some um, facts that he found that I just found so intriguing that I didn't even know about Christianity. Mm -hmm. Was there any that like surprised you that you can think of? It maybe has been a while since you read it. But... Well, it, it has. And honestly, um, in 1997, I had been just a couple of years into my ministry career. And, um, you know, I certainly possessed, uh, I think, adequate faith for the beginning of that journey. But coincidentally, I was going to school in Chicago for this uh, uh, process to begin. And so there was this sense of connection with him, if only because I was in the same town where he was having all this impact and where all this was going down. And I actually heard him speak a couple of times at Willow Creek Church and so forth. And, and uh, so the reason I mention that is, is that with the, when I read this book, I was also taking seminary classes where we were learning things like the the historical evidence for Jesus and and doctrinal things and you know a, a good seminary education will provide you with a pretty comprehensive view of the Christian condition and how it came to be now that's a really broad statement because some seminaries do it better than others some seminaries tend to be more liberal than others and more conservative than others and some people go to Bible school to get qualified to serve as pastors, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, some seminaries include classes on administration and leadership and things like that, and some don't. But at the end of the education, the idea is, is that you have a person in front of you as a pastor who's got a pretty well-rounded education about everything that might come across their desk or or come to their attention in the church uh, regarding church history and and church uh, beliefs and so forth. And I did a lot of side work while I was in seminary, like reading his book, for example. And I, I know I'm not answering your question, but that's, my answer is, is, yeah, I'm sure I read things in his book that I didn't know, but I was also consuming tons of information at the same time in my life. Yeah. And so I can't really remember where I got some of the things I got. But what I would say to you is between 1997 and, well, now, but especially during those first 10 years or so of ministry life, where I was sort of a journeyman pastor being trained and serving at the same time, 
I had aha moments every five minutes, I think. I mean, there was just no end to the new things I discovered. And I think that made me a kind of Theophilus, you know? And I think that's what we are. Because I mentioned in the sermon on Sunday that Theophilus is, is if anything, it's a term for someone who is gently pursuing God, which is to say that they're not trying to make a case against Christ. They're just open to having case for Christ presented to them. Like, and, and you find that's really where a lot of people are, and it's only the bad feelings and the violent conversations that people have had that have turned them away from, from the things of Christ and especially church people. Because, you know, church people can be real jerks sometimes. I mean, they just can. Some pastors are real jerks. I know them, you know? And, and those people whether they're intentionally mean or whether they just don't realize how thoughtless they are. Either way, they have done more harm to the Theophili out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who were open until you slapped them in the face and closed their mind, right? You know, and so, so uh, they're not all like Lee where they're trying to make a case against Christ as much as they're just not willing to believe that you're representing him effectively. And I would say, no, that's probably true. I wouldn't blame you. Like, I wish I could talk to every person who would like to know what Christianity is all about, but they're afraid to ask because they're pretty sure they're going to run into somebody that's going to make them feel worse than before they ask. Sure. I wish I could go to every one of those people and say, I'd like to talk to you. Because I promise I'll be gentle with you and I won't hurt you. You know, I really understand what it's like to be a seeker. And I'll tell you that God loves seekers. And for whatever reason, as soon as you open your mind and become like Theophilus, he just floods you with good feelings, knowledge, inspiration, and it's not like a big joy ride. I just mean that you can't, it, th there's a passage from scripture that says that, that the Lord's cup is pressed down and overflowing. And he pushes that into you when you open yourself to it. And you can't, you can't be, there's no limit to the amount of his love and his intellect and his, well, should we say heart and mind? Because that's what the, the heart, the knowing God with heart and mind is the name of this podcast channel, and I've been using that for decades. And you can't run out of space to hold the heart and mind of God that he wants to share with you. He'll keep making room in you if you keep receiving it. And I just wish I could say to people who have been, you know, have had negative experiences with, with Christians keep trying. There are good ones out there, and they do say the right things. And there are plenty of them out there. It's just so easy to run into somebody who leaves you feeling wounded. Mm -hmm. Boy, did I go off track. That's okay. But that's kind of the nature of our conversations, isn't it? That's why yeah. we decided we should do this. Yeah, we just circle around, and eventually, yeah. you know, we, we find our way back. Yeah, and it, and it comes down to, you know, basically, what did I learn from Lee Strobel's book? Well, I was busy absorbing everything I could at the same time so that I have things that I can remember <laughs> and don't know where I got them from, you know, because 
If there was a used book table at the seminary, I would be looking around at it, picking through, and, and I'd see, like, I remember, this, this memory just popped into my head. I remember seeing this old book written in the 20s, um, and it was by a guy named uh, Rosenbush, I think, or Rosen something, and I happened to have heard about that in my theology class that day, and this was the guy who who kind of coined the term social gospel. Mm. And I thought, well, look at that. That's in his own words right there. So I pick up this book and I stood there and flipped through it and read through it and everything. And then I put it back down and I went to the class the next day and the teacher said something about his, you know what. And I said, you know, I just read a book on a table written in his own words and he said this. And I don't think that's exactly the same as what you said he said. <laughs> Oh, man. And, and the teacher said something like, well, if you saw that book, why didn't you buy it? And I said, well, I didn't want to buy it. I don't like what it says. But I wanted to make sure that what you and I were talking about was more consistent with his real words. And, you know, and so I irritated teachers all the time. But then I would get good grades because they'd say, you're doing your critical thinking. So there again, what is Theophilus? He's an open-minded critical thinker who is genuinely hungry to know about God. And it could be a she too, obviously, but right. you know, it's all about being willing to have a holiness of heart and mind or seeking a holiness of heart and mind, which I think for our inaugural podcast is a pretty good thing to discuss, which we have, but to just say that, you know, the whole reason we have these conversations, the whole reason that we spend time together in what John Wesley called holy conversation is so that we can have a holiness of heart and mind. And, and that comes through openness and love, generous grace, and critical thinking. Yeah. I've said that before. I think we should all critically think through our faith. Like, don't just believe something because someone told you to, right? Mm -hmm. Like, think through it. Um, not uh, saying... that's, that's why we call it a holiness of heart and mind. Yeah. You know, that if, if you're a person, and, and I want you to finish what you said, but I, you know, if your person is listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, your Christians are all brainwashed. <laughs> you know, I, I learned uh, about a month ago, I learned how to do these little sermon shots that I've been putting on YouTube and stuff. And, and I even ventured into the world of TikTok, which was, which is very dangerous territory for an old <laughs> dude like me. Sure. And one of the things that somebody said in the comment was brainwashed. <laughs> wow. And I thought, okay, all right. You know, that's very interesting insight. So, so if people who despise what they've learned about Christianity on the basis that we are just silly brainwashed people who act in, uh, in a sort of blind faith and just do things mindlessly out of faith, well... I'm certain there are people out there who have faith in a lot of things doing that, you know. And I, I will tell you right now, there's a lot of blind, mindless faith in things that we don't think of as religion, but they might as well be religion. Mm -hmm. And that might be certain theories about the origin of humanity, or it might be certain political beliefs or whatever, and, and uh, it might be our feelings about certain public figures, and they all have a religious fervor that's informed more by their emotions than practical reality. So guess what? In the world, you will meet many people who have blind faith and do radically 
stupid things because of it. But the truth is, is really a healthy Christian is a thinking Christian. And that would be say, I would say that's true of everybody in life. You know, if you're not a healthy Christian or you don't want to be a healthy Christian, okay, fine. But if you want to be a healthy skeptic, think. Don't be blind in your ignorance. Say, well, I don't want to believe that, so I refuse to learn. I refuse to think. Yeah. And how admirable of Lee Strobel to say, say that, but also be like, no, I'm going to look into this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm actually going to inform myself because I can't just say, no, nah, I don't believe this and discredit it. I'm actually going to learn. Yeah. And so if, you know, if you feel like maybe us Christians are brainwashed, here's a great place to start. Read the case for Christ or watch the movie or something. There's so many facts to inform the validity. You just, you know, you just reminded me of something that, that uh, um, I'm late in coming to Dan Brown's books. I, I didn't read them when they were current. Mm -hmm. And I actually read The Da Vinci Code just last week because I had just finished a book called The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and that's where we got the whole Enoch thing that I was talking to you about the other day. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, I listened to these books, and I think, you know, they really go out of their way to say that the church, and they really mean that Dan Brown has more issues with the Roman Catholic Church than he does anything else because, you know, well, that's a whole other podcast. What is church? Yeah. You know, well, historically speaking, if you hear something that references the church, it's probably referring to Rome and the Catholic tradition. But, but anyway, there's this sense throughout history that, Christians, especially the Roman tradition, um, are radically opposed to science, you know, and how some, somehow, you know, science, and, and, and really, I think that mindset still exists, and that's exactly the way that, that Lee Strobel approached it. There's this mindset that people of faith are not willing to deal with facts. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to deal with empirical truth, mm -hmm. and that's not really true, but that's what a lot of people outside of Christian tradition or faith communities will assume about people of faith, whatever their faith. And um, the fact that, that science is in its own way a certain kind of religion, because there are people out there that talk about scientists as though they're high priests. They talk about science as though it's something of a, of a sort of religious nature in itself, you know, because the answer is, well, science says, but that's not fair because that's why, like, people who oppose uh, uh, biblical Christian views of evolution and, or, or the, you know, like Darwin's theory, theory of evolution is something that Christians have often argued against. And, and so then there's this, this, uh, this tension that exists between faith and science. But it's not about faith and science. It's faith and faith. Mm. There's a faith system around the theory of evolution, and there's a faith system about the, the theory around the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there's actually more evidence to support the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then there is evidence that evolution is a real thing. Adaptation's a real thing. But evolution is still not proven. 
Now, I'm not trying to make a case against evolution. What I really want to say is, is let's just be honest. If you think that all Christians are knuckleheads because they won't believe that in evolution, well, they have a right to say, well, I think you're a knucklehead because you're committed to evolution in the same way that any fanatically devoted faith person is in their faith system. You, you don't have any more proof that what you believe is true than you think I do, and yet you are radically opposed to my religious stance on the topic of your interest, and you are radically devoted to your stance. And what that makes you is a religious fanatic mm. in the name of science, the religion. Now, this makes the people mad if they think about if they don't think about what I'm saying. But if you think about what I'm saying, then take this to the next logical step. Science is something that we should all have in common because science is truth seeking. Sure. Science, by its very nature, is truth seeking, and so in a scientific way, Lee Strobel set out to disprove Christianity, and then when he had enough evidence to completely counter his hypothesis then he had to acknowledge that his hypothesis was wrong. I took sixth grade science like everybody else, and I know that whenever you do a scientific study, you have a question, you have a hypothesis, you have a set of experiments, you try to develop as much empirical evidence as you can, and then you see what the evidence reveals. And sometimes your hypothesis is dead wrong, and sometimes it's right on, and that's called science. Well, guess what? I hope every Christian believer on the planet can do science with regard to theology, which is the understanding of God, doctrine, which is the church belief system outlined and sort of, you know, the borders around our faith. I mean, every Christian should be a critical thinker, which means the science shouldn't frighten them. And every scientist should be a critical thinker and not a religious fanatic about certain hypotheses that can't be proven, but they refuse to accept what that means. Because people just don't want to believe certain things because it would say something about themselves or their view of the world that they don't want it to say. Yeah. See, we always circle back. We got back. perfect. We got back. No, that actually, so for those of you who don't know, I work in physical therapy, and I actually just told a patient yesterday who was coming in with low back pain and I said, I was asking him all these questions, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on. And I told him, I like to critically think through this because just having like a blanket treatment for low back pain doesn't really work because everybody's different. Everybody walks differently. Everybody does different activities. And it's like, if you're not personalizing the treatment to that person, they're not going to get better as as quickly and as efficiently and as effectively as they might be if you're actually trying to figure out what is going on. Like, does your hip not move well? And, and looking up the chain and all of these things. So it's so important to critically think through it. Mm -hmm. And I just love it when I encounter highly intellectual people, especially people who are highly intellectual in science, but also Christians. I said, but, and also Christians. Mm -hmm. Right? They're not mutually exclusive. Right. You can be, you, I've met a lot of people who are so intellectual. We have engineers, we have um, 
high achieving scientists, we have lawyers in our congregation and, and they're also very strong Christians. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool just to have conversations with them about how they are critically thinking through both. Yep. Right? Yep. So I think that's so cool. It's and, inspiring and it's inspired. Yeah, absolutely. I can't help but notice that you mentioned sixth grade science and Mrs. Quaddy was my sixth grade science <laughs> teacher. And <laughs> she's in our congregation yeah, and we're very she's... close. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we made an edible cell. That was probably the highlight of my year. Cool. She taught me the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. So cool. Yeah. I like it's planting it. good seeds, right? Yeah. Just like you do. Yeah. On well, Sundays. you know, we so, cry. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about the validity of like our faith, right? And so with science, you study the validity of things. You do experiments and figure out like what holds to be true. And then you study on that and you go further. And um, Lee did that. He was talking with someone. This was, it really struck me actually. So one of his first, like he hit it from several angles, right? He was like, okay, I'm going to um, debunk the validity of scripture first. I'm just mm -hmm. going to prove that it, it just wasn't even valid. And so then he's talking to this person. I don't even know who it was. But he found that archaeologists have actually recovered almost 6,000, so 5,843 reliable ancient, ancient, ancient New Testament manuscripts written in Greek. Almost 6,000 of them. People mm -hmm. have found physical evidence of this. And he contrasted with some of the works of like Plato, Aristotle, Homer, and there was just no comparison. The, the number of copies of the New Testament that we have found just blow those out of the water. And think about, I mean, I think about all my kids who are in like AP Lit and, you know, English and all of this. You study Plato, Aristotle, Homer, like you study those people. Mm -hmm. And in comparison, there's just so many more copies of the New Testament, and they were all written less than 30 years. Well, the ones that they found, okay, the earliest manuscript of the New Testament was found in Egypt and dates less than 30 years from Christ's resurrection. Mm -hmm. So in the span of history, that is like a blink of an eye. I mean, sure. there's no comparison. I don't remember, but there's a fact about, you know, how long after whatever other things were written and it was like 500 years after it actually happened and a thousand years after it actually happened 30 years you know it, it's uh, it, forgive me for this illustration but it's all about perspective isn't it 30 years ago is a long time for you because you know i was negative too that's right <laughs> On the other hand, I remember vividly what I was doing 30 years ago. And as the joke goes, I've got socks older than you, you know, that. And so it's all about, it's all about perspective. See, from my perspective, 30 years is nothing. Yeah. I'm actually a little distressed sometimes when I realize how fast it went. Mm. Because I watched my children grow up, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's, really a, a, a good observation when you think about it. You are saying that someone already started writing this stuff down within 30 years, which means they have vivid memories of these things. Yeah, I can write you a testament of everything I was thinking and doing and experiencing, and, and uh, it'll be a good solid memory. Uh, heck, <laughs> I think I just gave your husband Anthony something I wrote 
that covers things that happened way before you guys were born. And uh, so, you know, if I can do it, then an a spirit-inspired disciple probably got it right, you know? Yeah. yeah. You gave that to him last night. He soaked it up like a sponge, like <laughs> like a dry sponge that you drop in water. Just, just you surprised me. Um, I, I thought it'd be a while before he got to it. Oh, my. Immediately. He right. stayed up so late last night. He had to get up early today, and he's like, it was worth it. It was so good. He just uh, loved honored. it. Yeah. I'm honored. I think another important point to that is like you mentioned if you had written something and then only 30 years had passed or whatever there are other people around you who can say oh yeah that's true that happened I lived it too yeah and I think that's the importance too of the New Testament it, versus if it was written 500 years in the future then people would be like well there's no one still living to fact check that so I guess we'll just go with it right and thus we get someone like Luke, the investigative reporter, who asks all of those people in yeah. the course of his investigation. He does something detectives call canvassing, where you ask everybody who has any observation or memory of an incident. And as the canvasser, you have a clearer picture than any of those individuals because each one of them is giving you a different perspective and you're pulling it all together. So if Luke did that, and we don't have any reason to think he didn't, then his account is very accurate. Would have to be. Yeah. Because that's exactly what, you know, that's a, that's a, a, uh, a method of investigation that's still used to this day, every day. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm well, sorry. how much further do you want to go today? Because, uh, you know, this is our first one, and, and you read the book on podcasting. And uh, <laughs> it said if we go over 40 minutes that somebody will be sleeping. You think that's true? That, you know, I don't know. Tell us, listeners, when you are uh, commenting on this or writing to us or anything, you know, tell us what you think the ideal length of our podcast should be. Um, just remember, we screen comments before we publish them because that's our prerogative as the podcasters. So be nice. <laughs> we love you, and we're glad to hear from you. As Pastor Dan said towards the beginning, don't smack people in the face, right? That's right. <laughs> um, I we're don't even we're know. gentle servants. How long have we been going? I'm estimating that we've gone about 36 minutes. So, you know, we can keep going or we can wrap it up. What do you want to do? I know you had a little bit more in your notes, but we can always come back to it. Yeah. What hmm. would you like to do? I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, we talked about the echo, right? Yes. And how, like, if you were at this lake, you would recognize you know, a familiar voice. Um, and I think something else that was so impactful from your sermon on Sunday was talking about um, Judgment Day, mm -hmm. right? Like that was, whew, talk about urgency, right? Like none of us know when Judgment Day is coming and right. yet we are promised that it's coming. Yes. And so it's like no day is promised. I woke up this morning and I said, wow, thank you, Lord, for this day. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe... Yeah. You know, you just can't count on it. 
You're right. Especially with all the crazy things that are going on these days. There was a saying back in the day, but since people hardly ever write checks anymore, it might not mean the same, but there was a saying that yesterday's a canceled check and tomorrow's a promissory note. Hmm. That might be just a reference a little far out of my reach. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. A canceled check is one that's already been cashed. Uh-huh. And a promissory note is is uh, like an IOU. Ah. Uh, like I I will give you, you know, this much money uh, when you finish doing this work for me. Let's say, so it's called a promissory note. But that's what they used to say back in the old days, you know, because yesterday's a canceled check. It's already been cashed. Yeah. And uh, so it's no longer of any worth because it's just a piece of paper now. And uh, tomorrow isn't guaranteed until you get there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, nice. You can cheat, though, and watch live cameras from, like, Japan, and you can see tomorrow before you get to it. What? <laughs> <laughs> you could go on YouTube, and you can watch a live camera from Tokyo, and you'll be seeing tomorrow. Oh. So they're 13 hours ahead of us in Tokyo. Are they really? Yeah. 13. So if you want to cheat and see tomorrow before you get to it, you can go on YouTube and watch a camera from Tokyo, and you can honestly say that you were looking at tomorrow before tomorrow. That is cheating. That's totally cheating. <laughs> I just distracted you from your point that you were moving to you so did. eloquently. You did, but you know, we'll kind of circle around. And you talked about cheating, right? Yeah, and yeah. then we talked about the counterfeit. There you go. So good job. Counterfeit money is like cheating. Right. Right? Okay. So if I were to like pull a piece of paper off the printer and get a green marker and start writing a one dollar bill, and I like did my best effort at illustrating this one dollar bill and I cut it out and I'm so proud of it and I hand it to you. I'd be like, I want to pay for whatever. You'd probably just laugh, right? Because you're like, that's a sorry excuse for a $1 bill. Yeah. Thing looks terrible. Nothing like the normal. So that's just called fake money, right? Because yeah. it's like not yeah. even close. Monopoly um, money, right? It's right, right. Clearly not the real thing. Which would still be way better than what I would create. 1,000%. <laughs> but the thing is, we don't call that counterfeit. Right. right? So for something to be counterfeit, it has to be pretty stinking close to the actual thing. Yes. Right? Because like they have special markers and things to determine because when you're looking at two, you might not be able to tell the difference between the counterfeit. Mm -hmm. Which brings me back to the echo idea of like you're at this lake and what if, what if judgment day? And I was thinking about this on Sunday. So I'm really excited that I just went ahead and talked about it here. Mm -hmm. Because... You prompted us to think about Judgment Day, and you asked questions like, if you find yourself standing face-to-face -face with Jesus, will you know him? Will you know him? If God says, this is my son, do you know him? Huh. Yeah. That, that just makes you think, right? And I thought, well, we have all these depictions of what Christ maybe looked like, right? And they all look kind of different. Some are very much more Caucasian than others, mm -hmm. right? Um, but, like... Okay, I probably have an idea of what he looks like, but would I know what he sounds like? Mm -hmm. Would I be able to recognize his voice? And so I thought, what if I was in like a dark cave or in a dark lake and, and 
this is judgment day, right? And so I'm like standing there and there's a voice that's saying, follow me. And there's another voice that says, follow me. And there's, there's maybe five, six, seven different voices. Would I be able to differentiate which one is my Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like, would I know him that well and that intimately? Have I spent enough time with him? Do I know him? And so I thought, wow, what if that, hypothetically, what if that was the test on Judgment Day, right? I th- you told me about this uh, after church on, on Sunday. Uh, happened to be over at the house for one of our post-marriage. It's not that you guys need that much fixing. It's because we just really enjoy having you around, you know, so... <laughs> There's a little fixing to be done. Uh, yeah, well, you know, that's not for podcasting. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> but I, you said that to me, and I loved the way you put it the other day because you said, you know, what if a, you said when I was listening to you describe how God might present his son to people who never heard about Jesus or whatever, and, and, uh, and then you said that you went into this picture in your mind of being in a cave where you're kind of in an entryway and there's tunnel going one way and the tunnel going another way. And the voices call from the two different directions and you have to decide which one is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how cool is that? And it immediately drew to mind a picture, not unlike that, that really happened. Because in the Bible, we hear that Jesus came out of a cave or a hole in the wall and a cliff that had been carved out for a tomb. And he came out of a cave and there was a woman there who knew him really well, but she didn't recognize him until he said her name. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he heard her, as soon as she heard him say, Mary, he knew. She knew. (laughs) She knew his voice. Yeah, this is so much better when I don't get my... uh, pronouns backwards and sideways and everything. Boy, there's a topic. You have to watch that. (laughs) Let's not go there. Let's just revisit the main point. He came out of the cave and wasn't recognized until she heard her name spoken by him. Something that she'd heard many times. And she knew the sound of the master's voice. Remember Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And when they hear my voice, they come. And there was the whole point that I hoped to get across on Sunday is I can't, I can't tell you for sure what God will judge favorably or unfavorably on judgment day because that's his prerogative. God's, and by the way, since this is our first podcast, let me just say that I often refer to God as a he, but I don't actually believe God is male or female. It's just convenient, and it's been convenient since the language of the English speakers was first uttered. And so please don't... Jesus kind of said it too. Yeah, right? so, so please don't assume that because Jesus referred to God as the Father or anything that we are committed to some twisted sexist ideology because it's not as important as the idea that, that God is the supreme. There is no equal to the Lord God, and his son is Jesus Christ. And so that being said, you could recognize when that son of God says your name because it resonates with your soul. That is possible. And people who go from empirical belief to faith have crossed that line. And the problem that people who lack faith always have with people of faith is 
they can't understand the conviction and so they explain it as some sort of mental problem, you know, or emotional problem. And uh, it's hard to wrap your mind around this if you're not a believer, but people's conviction turns into a form of measurable evidence. Mm-hmm. Certainly was with the apostles. Mm-hmm. You know, people looked at them the same way that an unbeliever would look at me right now and say, man, you're just a crackpot. You're just a kook. And see, people looked at them the same way when they said, I saw Jesus. I ate breakfast with him the other day, even though you killed him. Mm-hmm. I looked at these people like they were crackpots. Yeah. But we have behind us thousands of years of history that says, for whatever reason, these crackpots have kept this story going and they have done amazing miraculous things despite the fact that everybody that meets them thinks they're crackpots. So there's evidence that can be tied to the faith. The people's faith, even though they can't prove it to you, develops or produces evidence that can't be denied. And there's historical evidence that goes back thousands and thousands of years because no movement that would cost its proponents their lives is, as often as it has is going to continue and yet it has yeah you know the entire roman empire eventually crumbled and went out of business but christianity continues the greek empire crumbled and went out of business but con- christianity continues israel jerusalem the judean nation, the Jewish-Israeli nation, whatever you want to call the historical Jews of Jesus' time, went out of business. <laughs> Nations and, and uh, you know, if you have an old world map or an old globe, you know that there are nations on there that don't exist anymore. You know, yeah. uh, in my lifetime, nations have changed names and changed hands. I grew up during the Cold War. There used to be a place on my world map that just said CCCP, and it encompassed this gigantic mass of land over on the other side of the planet, and it was all part of the Soviet Union. Hmm. And now you can look at a world map, and there's lots of little countries like Ukraine and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Poland and all these places, Romania. So this faith keeps going despite everything that's been done to destroy it and end it. And so the historical evidence that can't be proven by the people of faith on any given day is always there saying, and yet something must be real, something must be true, because it never goes away. You know, remember that song uh, that Kim was playing during the... uh, communion time uh, Sunday she that it has a line that I started singing after the after we got done with communion and yeah. kings and kingdoms will all fall away but there's something about that name because he never goes away he just keeps coming back well he never has to come back because he's always always he's always always can't think of a more perfect way to end our first <laughs> podcast. He's always, always. Well, okay. All right. So, 
We're going to be back again. Uh, we decided we'd try to do this about every two weeks. If we feel like we can pull it off, we might try to go once a week or so, but uh, we'll have something new for you in about two weeks. We'll have this uh, post-production work done and have it posted on Thursday. That's what we're shooting for. This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind. It's hosted by Podbean. You can look it up in Podbean, but all of the main uh, podcasting services have this. Just look up Knowing God with Heart and Mind. Look up Dan Sinkhorn, and you'll find me. I've been on iTunes, and uh, uh, oh, there's others. Well, there's, there's uh, Amazon, and there's... Uh, uh, Spotify and all, all the major sources for podcasts, you can look up my name or Knowing God with Heart and Mind and you'll find this. So, got anything else you want to say? I think that's it. Until right. next time. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.